I want to begin with a story this morning. Good morning, by the way. Good morning. It's good to be here. For those of you who may not know me, I'm Mike Spear. I am the pastor of student ministries here. I kind of oversee middle school through the college age group um, and then other duties as assigned, uh, which could be all numbers of things. Um, but I'm, I'm really grateful to be here. I do want to start off with a story. And it's a pretty good story, I think. Um, I heard it just this week. And if you listen to this, some of the same podcasts I listen to, then, then you may have heard it too. In which case, please just bear with me because uh, you've already heard this. But, um, but it's very relevant to what we're going to be looking at today. So um, this, this podcast, it was a man telling his story. He was telling the story of how he began to follow Jesus. He was a rugged, kind of manly man kind of guy. You know, very independent. Uh, you know, tip, you know, that kind of, kind of independent, doesn't really depend on people. Very difficult for him to ask for help. That kind. If there's a challenge, he's going to run into it. That's, he's just sort of that, that's that kind of guy. And he was telling how he, how he, um, in the process of getting to know Jesus, in the process of growing in his faith, he was convicted. He was convicted that he needed to grow in his walk as a husband, as a father, uh, just as a man in general. He was convicted that the things that he had been placing his faith in, his self self-assurance, self-confidence, all of those things, they just weren't, they weren't enough. And he got involved in ministry, and he ended up on staff at his church. And as someone who works closely with the pastor and ministry leads, the various ministry leads, he ended up going on this trip, a trip to help prepare. It was overseas, and it was to prepare for this big event that they were hosting, that they were, that they were going to be putting on. And on this trip, somehow, he got an infection in both of his eyes. And for all intents and purposes, he couldn't see. He didn't think it would be permanent, but he really struggled with the fact that he, again, independent, self-confident, self-reliant kind of guy, he was struggling. He was rendered helpless, and he had no idea when or if he would recover. He was a long way from home. And he was struggling both physically, but even more emotionally. And I'm going to leave the story there for a second. Because at that point in the story, it should raise the question. It definitely raised the question for him. And I'm certain that we have all experienced this where it raises the question for us. Why? By all accounts, he was, it seemed like he was doing all the right things. He was growing in his faith. He was serving. How does someone like that end up in a place of total helplessness? Doesn't Jesus promise abundant life? 
Doesn't Jesus promise to protect us? Doesn't he promise that he's our shepherd and that he will guard us and never leave us? Doesn't he promise all of those things? And the answer is yes. Yes, he does. So what happened? If you haven't wrestled with that question yet, I promise you, you will. None of us are exempt. We will be challenged in our faith in some very deep, difficult ways. We understand that Jesus promises and what lies ahead. When we understand his promises, it shifts our perspective on the trials we are going to face. See, today we are looking at abundant life. What did Jesus mean when he said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly? Before we get into that, I want to set the stage a bit. Because we're going to be in John chapter 10. And before we read through John chapter 10, which we're about to do, I want you to understand kind of where we are in the story so far. Jesus is, is, in the, is, is speaking during the time of the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a week-long celebration of the harvest and remembrance of Israel's time of wandering in the desert, of the time when they were led, when God led them, and they followed Him through the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire. It was a remembrance of that, the way God provided for them in the wilderness. This is where we are. And during this time, Jesus is teaching, and it's crowds. It's like everybody comes to Jerusalem to celebrate. Like this was a, I think it's Jerusalem. But anyway, everybody was together. There were big crowds. There were Pharisees. There were regular people. There, were, there was everybody there. And he's teaching. And along the way, he comes across a man who was born blind. And Jesus heals him. But he heals him in a roundabout way. He spits, he makes mud, he rubs it on the man's eyes, gross, and he tells him to go rinse it off. And so the guy goes to the pool of Siloam, he he does what Jesus says, he rinses it off, and he's healed. He can see. But when he tells people what Jesus did for him, his parents abandon him. And the Pharisees banish him. When Jesus hears about this, he finds the man again. But because the man never actually saw Jesus, have you ever picked that up? I didn't pick that up until this this go through. The guy was still blind when Jesus sent him to the pool of Siloam. He never actually saw Jesus. So Jesus finds him. And he doesn't recognize him. And Jesus asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answers, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you've seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. It's the first time he realized who he was talking to. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And and pay attention to this, because this is important. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. 
This is a statement of judgment on the Pharisees and all those who continue to see Jesus and his works, but not see him. They're, they're experiencing it. They see what he's doing, but they don't get it. They don't see him. This theme crops up in all of the Gospels, the three synoptics and John. It's, it, it's in all of them. It's repeated this phrase, I came that, they, that those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not hear. That is m- repeated multiple times in several of them. It's present in all of them. He states it in Mark. But they don't understand. They just don't understand that what he is doing is he's calling people to follow him. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what are the things that we miss because our hearts are still hard? Because that's the, that's the point of the judgment, right? Because of their hard hearts, though seeing, they will not see. Though hearing, they will not hear. What are we still holding on to? What of our own visions of what abundant life, what if our own visions of what abundant life looks like is not exactly what the scriptures reveal because though seeing, we don't see, and though hearing, we don't hear. So let's read John chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. Turner scroll to that, and we'll read it together. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus talking. This is like immediately after. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter, but enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. 
Lord, we need your spirit. Because, Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Lord, we are still hard in some ways. But, Lord, soften us. Open our eyes that we may see what you are doing. Open our ears that we may hear what you are saying. Lord, thank you for the scriptures that reveal you in all of your ways. At least all the ways that we need to know about. Father, help us to understand them. To obey them. And to follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So the good shepherd. Jesus is setting up a contrast. He's setting up a contrast and he wants us to understand. He wants his listeners to really pay attention to this. How is Jesus different than the religious leaders, the false teachers of their day and our day? How is he different? How is he set apart? He's setting up this, this picture, this word picture of the shepherd, which all of them would have been familiar with. They would have understand kind of like what that meant. He's setting up this picture so that we have an understanding of Jesus is not like the rest of these teachers. And he's not like so many of the teachers in our world today. He's completely different. He is, he is the good shepherd. And the basic idea is this. There are shepherd, and there are thieves, and there are the sheep. Or there are strangers, and there are the sheep. He's setting it up like this. And he says this. He says, he says, all the, he says in the beginning, truly, I trade, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. Now this is an interesting phrase, the gatekeeper opens. There's lots of discussion about what that exactly means. Is that John the Baptist who prepared the way for Jesus? Is it the prophets of the Old Testament that laid out you know, what the Messiah would, would do when he came? Uh, what is it? And, and really, you know, regardless of kind of what we think that is, Jesus is saying that he came according to the scriptures. He came obedient to the Father. The, the way God revealed that the Messiah would come, Jesus came that way. He came through the appointed door, if you will. The sheepfold. He came laying down His glory to go to the cross. Because that was the way appointed. The thief and robber, they look for any other way. They look for any other way. We've been warned about this all throughout the New Testament. Yeah? We've been warned about this again and again. Anyone who teaches another gospel have nothing to do with them. Teachers come proclaiming these various ways that, that we will be saved, that we will, that we will feel safe, that we will be at peace. But they don't go through the cross. Only Jesus took us down that path. And he says the sheep, his sheep, 
They hear his voice and they follow him. And they did not understand what he was saying. Remember that that passage I, we looked at earlier? Though hearing they will not hear, though seeing they will not see. We see it again and again. So what does Jesus do? He says, okay, I'll tell you again. Right? You're not following with me. Okay, I'll say it again. Okay, here it is. Here it is. Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. So he's trying to get more explicit. He's trying to say, look, here's what I mean. I am the door. Right? There's the door. That's me. I'm the door. And it's just another way of saying he's the shepherd. Like he guards the sheep. He blocks the way. He stands at the, at the opening of where the sheep are and he protects them. He keeps them from going astray and he keeps those who would threaten them and, and cause them harm from coming in. And he is the door. The thief, the thief only brings hurt. Steal, kill, and destroy. As good as it might sound, as good as the various teachings may sound, as positive as they are, as embracing and as comforting as they might seem, they destroy. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But here's the thing. The sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life. See the contrast? Destruction, life. Then he goes on and says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives life. By laying down his life for the sheep. Unlike the hired hand who doesn't care. They will cut and run at the first sign of danger. When things get hard, they abandon. They're gone. They leave the sheep to themselves. The shepherd sacrifices it all. Because he loves the sheep. He will never leave them to be devoured by the wolf. The good shepherd knows his sheep and his sheep know him in the same way that the father knows Jesus and Jesus knows the father. Now, that's, an, that's, that's a shocking statement if you really think about it. The kind of relationship that Jesus, as the good shepherd, is extending to the flock is the same kind of relationship that he has with the father. Just a little while later in John... He's going to tell the disciples, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? Don't you know that if you've seen me, you've seen the father? I and the father are one. And he says, that's the kind of relationship that the sheep and the son. That's the relationship we are to have that he's inviting us into. That we would be so close to him that when we live our lives, people would see Jesus. At work, at school, 
in our neighborhoods, on the courts, in the ball fields, wherever it is, when they see us, they would see Jesus. This is abundant life. Abundant life. We have to pay attention to what Jesus is focused on here because there's, there's a lot of things in this story that we could hone in on and really kind of pick apart, well, not pick apart, but really kind of study and, and learn from. But the main thrust of what he's getting at is the relationship between him and the sheep. He's, he's saying it. He's trying to give us this, this great picture of this is the relationship that we are to have. This is the relationship that, that I want. He keeps coming back to her, to it. The, the shepherd, the good shepherd loves the sheep, protects the sheep, fights for the sheep, and dies for the sheep. The sheep's only contribution to this thing is that we listen and we follow. The, the shepherd calls and the sheep turn and they're going. That's what we do. That's what we are called to do. And we follow, and He gives us and leads us into abundant life. But don't forget this. Don't forget where the shepherd is going. He's going to the cross. Jesus' cross brings us forgiveness. It brings us redemption. This was our whole series, right? Why did Jesus die? He brings us new life. But it's also here that Jesus says, deny yourself and take up your cross. We don't often tie these two things together. Abundant life Deny yourself and take up your cross. Abundant life, death to self. Abundant life, the first will be last. We, off, we don't tie those together. Is it possible that though hearing this again and again and reading it in Scripture, we don't hear? Seeing it written in the Word of God, we don't see. I mean, picture it. Picture what Jesus is saying when he says, when he says, take up your cross and follow me. And we're about to get to that in a minute, but he he says it in various places. What is he telling them? Picture it. A deserted hill. A wooden cross. Covered in the blood of the lamb. Standing there, pools around your feet from where they had speared him, and blood and water poured out. And the resurrected Jesus looks at and says, Take up your cross and follow me. It leads here. Walk my path. And so what does abundant life really look like? Abundant life 
is with the shepherd. We didn't pay for our sins on the cross. Jesus did that on his. That's not what he's talking about. We don't pay for our sins. That only comes through faith in Christ. But we do die. We die to ourselves in order to follow him. Again, the sheep listen and they follow the shepherd. The shepherd doesn't make them guess where he's going. He goes before them. And Jesus has gone before us. And he showed us what a cross-shaped life looks like. And he calls them to follow. Abundant life is with the shepherd. We have been given the scriptures for this very reason. God has revealed himself to us. He's revealed himself. He's revealed himself through this. You want to know what the will of God is? Read this book. Study it. Meditate on it. This is what Psalm 119 is all about. What we were reading earlier in the service. He calls us into his story and work of redemption. And he says, follow me. Abundant life is with the shepherd. Abundant life is also at the end of the line. Abundant life is at the end of the line. Our culture is enamored with status. It is enamored with our position. And, you know, things like how many likes we got. Think about it for a second. If you post something on social media and it gets zero likes, it's on there for two days and it has gotten zero likes, you start questioning yourself, don't you? You're like, whoa, wait, nobody? Nobody like that? Oh, got to go back and think my choices. Our jobs, our schools, our grades, our followers, our likes mean more in our culture than our character. They mean more in our culture than character. But abundant life, abundant life is at the end of the line. It's not at the front. It's not up front and it's not famous. It's at the back. In Mark, or Matthew twenty twenty five. Jesus says this, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus led the way. He says, follow me. Are we following Or when we hear this, are we not really hearing it? Jesus died a criminal and a heretic, according to his culture. He was, by our standards, by by the culture standards, a total failure. But our standards are wrong. Our standards are wrong. And they need to be turned upside down. Because we don't gain status by being first. We follow. We're at the end of the line. We serve. We become the least of these. That's what we're called to. Not only that, 
Abundant life comes by subtraction. Abundant life is not God giving us a bunch of cool stuff to make our life better. I'm going to say that one again. Abundant life is not God giving us a bunch of cool stuff to make our life better. That's not abundant life. It's putting to death our old self to follow Jesus. We are not servants and slaves to other people. We are servants and slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we are servants and slaves to. And in being his servant and in being his slave, the slave to God, we love others the way Jesus did. That's what we are called to. Because we follow him now and we travel his path. The abundant life is Jesus' life in us. In Mark 8, 34, he says this, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. You see, he's turning the things we value upside down. And... If you read the New Testament, honestly, you can't escape this. He's turning it all upside down. When we went through the Sermon on the Mount, that whole thing is Jesus turning all the expectations, all the, all the status symbols upside down and saying, we are missing it. And if you want to know what it really looks like to follow God, to, to know God, to be in a relationship with God, you have to depend on me because you can't accomplish it on your own. I'm the only one that can do that. Trust me. In Colossians 3, 2, it says, Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died. That subtraction. Abundant life comes by subtraction. We put to death our old selves. And we turn to Jesus and Jesus alone. We are servants and slaves to God, and therefore we love... No, Colossians 3.2, got in the wrong spot. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Abundant life is with the shepherd. See that? Abundant life is with the shepherd. Our life is in Christ, is with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So, abundant life comes by subtraction. But abundant life also involves others. Abundant life involves others. And I chose this slide on purpose. Because abundant life with others is not always a cakewalk. Abundant life with others, those others are sometimes great. And man, you just love being with them and you love being together. And that sometimes those others are a great pain. And you know that I'm talking the truth right now. You know, people are hard. Peter understood it. In 1 Peter 4, 7, he said this, The end of all things is at hand. So he's putting them in the right perspective. Eternal mindsets. The end of all things is at hand. All right, let's think in that way. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, 
Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Okay, let's pause. Love one another earnestly, since love covers over a multitude of sins. Now look at the context that he's saying this. He's not talking about, my love covers your sins. That's certainly present, and that is absolutely true. Jesus, in his death and, and resurrection... He forgi- forgiveness of sins is only through him, through faith in him. Absolutely true. But what he's talking about here is, is at this level, between us. He's calling us to love earnestly. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. And we have to deal with a multitude of sins when we deal with people. Loving earnestly is a decision. That's intentional. That's not a feeling. You might feel it sometimes, and sometimes you're not going to feel it. But we choose to love earnestly. Because there are a multitude of sins that need covering when you're dealing with people. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Have you ever thought about what he's saying there? Why would you grumble if you're having a great time hanging out with whoever you're hosting? But hospitality is difficult. Hospitality is inviting people who are difficult into your life. Why? So that they can see Jesus. Because Jesus has called us into a, as, into a family... And not into a bunch of little individual pods where we just kind of hang out with the people we enjoy. He has called us to be in the middle of it. And people are messy. And people are hurt. And people are broken. You are messy. You are hurt. And you are broke. I am messy. I am hurt. I am broken. And we need one another because that's how Jesus designed it. That we would support each other and through the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of his word, we can love one another well in spite of our differences. We don't unite around anything other than Jesus. And if we're doing it right, we don't divide over anything other than Jesus. And we live in a culture today that wants to divide over every little thing. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, listen, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God gives us grace, not for us to just absorb it, but to steward it and to use it to bless others. We are stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. The words that we say to one another should reflect the word of God. They should be encouraging. They should be truthful. They should be loving. And they should be saturated and inspired by the truth that he has given us in his scriptures. The oracles of God. The revealed word of God. Whoever speaks 
Speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. What you say, make it that. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Don't raise your hands or say anything here, but if you were to review back over all of your conversations this past week, and all of your dealings with other people this past week, was it all done so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ? To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. To Him. That's right. Community is difficult. And when we talk about loving, we often skip the part about speaking truth. And when we talk about speaking truth, we often skip the part about loving. And what Jesus did, what Jesus did, he spoke the truth. He talked about sin. Go read the Sermon on the Mount again. He was very clear about sin. He didn't hide that. He didn't dodge that conversation. But when he spoke about it, he embodied love and compassion at the same time. So the truth was spoken in the context of a loving, compassionate, caring human being. And that's why relationships matter. That's why relationships matter. And then this, abundant life happens in a broken world for now. The abundant life for now happens in the middle of the effects of sin. We can't escape that. And God doesn't rescue us from that. He rescues us through that, but he doesn't rescue us from that. There is still loneliness. There is still sickness. There is still mental illness. There is still depression. There is still anxiety. There is still deep internal struggles. There is still death. But there is still joy. Not some fake smile and a suppression of grief and hurt, but actual joy that comes from real hope. Remember, abundant life is found in the presence of the Good Shepherd. He calls us to His cross and to take up our cross. At His cross, There is forgiveness, there is restoration, there is new life. And in taking up our old cross, we are putting to death our old life. We are sheep and we follow the shepherd wherever he calls. If we continue in that 1 Peter passage, we're at 1 Peter 4.12 and he says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. He doesn't say if it comes. He says when it comes. It will come. 
You will be tested. It will be a fiery trial. Don't be surprised. This is why we got to be in his word. So that we know his truth and we know his promises. We know and are confident that he is the good shepherd, that we are sheep, that he will lead us through the valley of the shadow of, the de- of death. But we have no need to fear evil because he is with us. He calls us to his cross and to take up our own cross. We will face fiery trials. It's not something strange happening to us, but rejoice. And so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And that is where our focus has to be. This is not our world. This is not our home. When Jesus returns, a new heaven, new earth, then it'll be our home. Until then, we are sojourners here. We are strangers in a strange land. And the rules that they have in this world are not the rules we are called to live by. The values and, 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 and the, the, the things that are lifted up our values are upside down from that. The abundant life is not absence, absent of suffering and deep hurt. It is present in the middle of it. In Psalm 119, I chose that passage, you know, carefully. Because look at how 119.25 starts. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. That's someone who's hurting, who's struggling. His soul clings to the dust. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. He's saying, I'm struggling and it's hard and my soul melts away for sorrow, but I know that there is life in your word. Show me your precepts. Make me understand them. Because I know that's where life is. It's with you. So let's return to our original story and we're going to close with this. But now I can tell you that while the story is told by that man, the guy who was accounting, recounting his, his time overseas and, and he was blind, you know, blind for a time. It's the story's not actually about him. The story is really about two pastors One pastor led a very large and by all accounts successful church. And a lot of great things were happening there. He had a great family. He was a real influencer. He was a celebrity in the Christian circles. Most looking in would say this pastor was living the abundant life. But somewhere along the way, he'd lost sight of the fact that this was not about him. And that the first shall be last. 
and that we deny ourselves, and we take up our cross and we follow Jesus. This pastor, him and a team, the guy who was accounting, telling this story, was part of that team. Again, they were overseas to plan and prepare for that large event. In the process, they made a, met a local pastor. Nobody famous, not a big name, not leading thousands of people. Yet, when the guy telling the story was struggling with his eyes, struggling emotionally, struggling spiritually even, this local unknown pastor saw it. He literally led him by the hand through the city to the nearest hospital. He stayed with him to make sure he was okay, that he got the treatment he needed. He prayed over him. The celebrity pastor had someone text the man to ask if he was contagious and to let him know that they needed to keep moving and couldn't stay if he was going to be delayed while he was recovering didn't come to that. He recovered fine. He resumed the trip as planned. Yet as he recounted the story, he said, that was the, that was the time. That was the turning point. That was when he turned in his resignation. He had seen true faith in action and couldn't ignore what was a very real problem. As he told the story, he choked up because he was still moved by that one simple act of kindness, of love. And it showed him again what it meant to love like Jesus. Now you tell me, which of these pastors is living the abundant life? Which of these pastors' life spilled over onto someone else? Make no mistake, that pastor is not, a he- not the hero of this story. Jesus is the hero of that story. He calls, we follow, and we follow the one who gives abundant life that's shaped like a cross. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word and what you've expressed and shared with us in your word. And Lord, as we live our life, oh God, we need you to open up our eyes. Lord, we don't want... We don't want to be hard to the things of, of you, the things of your kingdom. Lord, abundant life is at the end of the line. Help us to gladly go to the end of the line. To serve faithfully, quietly even to do the things that you've called us to do, each of us according to the gifts and grace that you've given us. Father, help us to die to ourselves. And Lord, help us to be the sheep that hear your voice. Lord, that's a work of you. Your spirit opens our ears. Your spirit opens our eyes. You sometimes use some unexpected ways to heal us of our blindness. 
Lord, we trust you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.